Tonight on Talking Politics, AG candidate Shannon Liss Reardon joins me on her run with the state Democratic convention just around the corner. But first, it is the Republicans' turn. The GOP is set to meet in Springfield tomorrow to endorse candidates for a bevy of statewide positions, including governor. But the fight between former state rep Jeff Deal and businessman Chris Doty is about more than just who gets the party's nod in this particular election cycle. It's also about the future of the mass GOP itself, with Deal, who worked to elect Donald Trump in 2016 and hired his former campaign manager, Corey Lewandowski, as a senior advisor in this race, looking to continue the party's shift rightward. And then there is Doty, who, as we've discussed before, has sent some mixed messages about his political identity here at GBH News. I don't remember saying that I was a moderate. I have my own views, my own perspectives in life. So I would say that I'm a Chris Doty Republican. I think I'm a moderate man. Still, whatever label he prefers, Doty's vision is clearly more in line with that of current Governor Charlie Baker, who won election twice and has enjoyed high statewide popularity for most of his tenure. But if Doty can't reach the 15% threshold required to make the primary ballot, his campaign will be over. And the prospects for Baker's approach to politics continuing to have a home in the GOP will get even bleaker than they currently are. Joining me to discuss this more, Bay State Banner Senior Editor Yabu Miller and Lisa Kashinsky, author of the Political Massachusetts Playbook and co-host of the Horse Race Podcast. Good to see you both. Uh, Lisa, we have, as we just mentioned, two candidates for governor at the convention. To me, that's the big storyline to watch. What is your sense of how things are going to proceed for Deal on the one hand and Doty on the other tomorrow in Springfield? Yeah, so as we've both reported on already um, in our respective outlets, this could be a coronation for Jeff Deal, or it might not be. So those are there are kind of two storylines to watch going into this. One is we know that Jeff Deal polls well with the Republican base. There was even talk that he could have beaten Governor Charlie Baker in a convention setting if the two of them were the primary matchup. So it's the question of how well does he do with these delegates? How much of the base, how strong is he really with this base? That's one thing that we'll be looking for at this convention. On the other side, you have Chris Dowdy, who needs to get the 15% to get on the ballot in the first place. And, you know, I was talking to sources within the Republican Party this week, and they seemed pretty confident, you know, that he would hit that bar. But then the candidate himself went on Bloomberg Bay State Business earlier this week and didn't sound quite so confident. He was saying, we're on the edge. I'm calling delegates right up until the last minute, trying to make the ballot. It was interesting because usually you don't see a candidate admit that, even if they're, you know, even if it's true, even if they are close. And he's a first time candidate. So maybe it was, you know, a bit of honesty there that we were seeing, or maybe really just a push to try and get, you know, his delegates to make sure they go to the convention. I've been trying to figure that out too, because like you said, it's so rare to have someone say, man, I don't know if we're going to do what we need to do. And I've been wondering if he's gaming expectations or playing four dimensional chess. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what what happens with him. Yahoo, if Chris Doty loses, do you think that Baker's vision for the mass GOP, one in which the governor can embrace productive bipartisanship, hold up Massachusetts as a model for the rest of the country where we're about substance and collaboration when possible as opposed to gratuitous acrimony. Do you think that vision for for what politics should be will have a future here in Massachusetts with the GOP? 
I think so. I mean, you know, a lot depends on what happens this year. But, um, you know, Trump only got a third of the vote in Massachusetts or, you know, just under a third of the vote. I mean, on one hand, it's kind of incredible to think that one in three people voted for him here in Massachusetts because we think of Massachusetts as a fairly liberal state. But then in 2018, Baker had two thirds of the vote. So um, that brand of republicanism is really popular in Massachusetts. Um, you know, and in polling, people, you know, people have expressed support for that kind of candidate. Um, it, it, will the, the question I'm, in my mind is when will the Republican Party here in Massachusetts get tired of putting out candidates who can only get a third of the vote? Um, you know, I mean, would there be a, you know, a, um, uh, rebellion within the party where people are, you know, where the party faithful start saying we need to put forth candidates who can win statewide. Yeah, and I guess this cycle is maybe going to be the first time, depending on what happens uh, in the convention and uh, at the prime or in the primary. This may be the first time where they have a a gubernatorial candidate who the the right wing of the party is really excited about. Again, uh, it depends on a lot of things moving forward. Lisa, I know you wrote in the Massachusetts Playbook today that you're going to be looking at a few other storylines at the convention. What are a couple of the biggies? Well, one of them is the possibility for kind of a split ticket scenario a little bit. Both of the candidates for governor have running mates right now. Um, uh, Jeff Deals is Leah Cole Allen. Chris Dowdy's is Kate Campanile. They're both former state representatives. But lieutenant governor is a separate primary, technically. So delegates will also be voting for which lieutenant governor candidate they want to nominate or throw more of their support behind. And that could produce some kind of mixed results. Um, so there's that's one thing that I'm watching. Another thing is just the messaging that's going to come out of this convention. Um, you know, we have a conservative chairman of the state party. He told me that it's, you know, his topics right now are the four eyes, as he called them. That's in his words, inflation, immigration, indoctrination in schools and infanticide. So you have, and again, those are his words. Jim Lyons' words, right? Jim Lyons' words. Um, so you have a chairman who is very conservative um, and anti-abortion. And you have speakers that kind of align with that and who are also going to talk about immigration. You're also going to see a push uh, for tax relief because that Democrats are not moving forward uh, with that right now on Beacon Hill. So there's some things that will be able to rally kind of all the different factions of the Republican Party in the room, like tax relief. But there are also things that could still prove divisive. And we know that the party has been plagued with some pretty public infighting over these past few months, especially um, since Jim Lyons took control and kind of has had this war with Charlie Baker. So Baker won't be there. Um, and some of his allies will be, some of them won't. So definitely watching just the general party dynamics um, going forward. It should be fascinating. Uh, Lisa, let me stay with you for a second, but shift topics. I wish we didn't have to talk about COVID on the upswing, but it is on the upswing, and I think we do. Uh, cases are up, hospitalizations are up. The CDC right now shows that almost all of Massachusetts is at high transmission level. And when you're at high transmission level, the CDC recommends that you consider masking indoors. Governor Baker is facing increased calls from some public health experts to either issue another mask mandate or a mask advisory. Where does he stand at this point on those calls? 
I would say don't expect those to happen. Um, the governor has been asked repeatedly over the past two weeks, as, as you said, as cases have been rising, as metrics have been rising. Now the CDC, uh, the, you know, the federal health officials are saying that a third of Americans should be masking up um, in public indoors. Cases are rising at the state house. We're getting new reports of people testing positive every day or every other day. But he is really resting on Massachusetts' high vaccination rate. Um, you know, among seniors, it exceeds 95%. It's similarly high overall. And he's saying that this is the way forward. And that's consistent with what, you know, the governor has always said, that yes, COVID is a very transmissible virus. Um, but recently, you know, with these Omicron strains, it's been pre presenting a bit more like the flu. Mm -hmm. And there's also pandemic fatigue that people have to deal with. That's why you're not seeing maybe Boston Mayor Michelle Wu. Um, you know, it hasn't hit all of her thresholds for concern yet to bring back mask mandates. Right. But there is this element of pandemic fatigue that people have to deal with. There is. This is actually the first time coming into the studio that I forgot to bring a mask from home. And then I found one in the trunk and put it on. But there is pandemic fatigue. It's a real thing. Yawu. You and my GBH News colleague, Soraya Wintersmith, moderated a forum last night for the second Suffolk Senate race. This is the seat currently held by Sonia Chang-Diaz, who's running for governor on the Democratic side. Uh, what were some of your big takeaways? Because it's a pretty fascinating contest. Um, well, so this was hosted by Progressive, uh, JP Progressives, which is an arm of, or a chapter of Progressive Massachusetts. Um, so the questions were progressive litmus tests, and all four candidates agreed on, you know, pretty much the whole range of issues. Um, Same-day registration, uh, in-state tuition rates at public colleges and universities for undocumented students, um, uh, removing the exemption for, for public record laws for um, the governor and legislature. I mean, that, that, that issue alone could probably cut across the ideological um, divide, yeah. but you know, pretty, pretty, um, you know, pretty, pro all of them were progressive um, and took progressive stands and that, and, you know, all of them are, uh, you know, African-American. Um, so that is part of a longstanding tradition in Boston politics where black candidates, black elected officials and white progressives are aligned on a lot of the issues. Um, it's, it's, I think it's a very high caliber um, uh, field in that race that, uh, you know, everybody's really quick on their feet. Um, you have two lawyers and two uh, incumbent um, people. So everybody's up on the issues in the legislature. It's just going to come down to, I think, um, for the most part, it will come down to who's got the best ground game, who can get the, on the most doors. Um, who has the best uh, organization. Since we're talking about the candidates, I, I should name them here. And unfortunately, I didn't think to have their faces prepared, but we have the Reverend Minyard Culpepper, former state Senator Diane Wilkerson, current state rep Nika Alugardo, and current state rep Liz Miranda. Did I get that right? Yes, you did. Okay, good. Uh, let me ask you, in closing, before we wrap up, we've talked before here, Yahweh, yeah, you and I, about Diane Wilkerson attempting to get back to the state house where she was a force to be reckoned with for years, then left uh, after she was convicted on corruption charges. She's been a very vocal community activist during the time of COVID. What, if anything, did she say about her career arc and where she's hoping to take it next at the forum? This time there was as close to an apology, you know, as, as, as I've seen since she's come back to public life from incarceration. 
where she actually said she was sorry. Hmm. Um, you know, in the past, in past um, explanations of what happened, it's sort of like what happened happened. Um, you know, where she's kind of taken herself out of the equation as an actor. Um, you know, I think she has a certain degree of popularity. It's just a question of, you know, are voters going to going to look past, you know, what she did, which was, you know, taking bribes. When you Google her, the image that comes up is her stuffing hundred dollar bills, you know, into her bra, and um, it's that, that I, I think that's a hard thing to overcome. All right, Yawu Miller, Lisa Kashinsky, thank you both. And Lisa, I know I will be seeing you in Springfield tomorrow, bright and early. Drive defensively. Thanks. Two weeks after the state GOP convention, Mass Democrats will meet to make their endorsements. Among the hopefuls is my next guest, Shannon Liss Reardon, who built a career as a labor attorney by going up against corporate giants like Uber, Lyft, and Amazon, among many others. She's now running to replace Maura Healy as attorney general. Shannon, thank you for being here. Uh, in anticipation of the convention in a couple weeks, pretend I'm a delegate and pretend that, that you got a chance to chat with me in the course of meeting, you know, thousands of other delegates. Give me your punchiest speech pitching you as a candidate compared to your opponents. Yeah, thank you. So I have spent my career more than 20 years taking on the biggest challenges and delivering big results for regular people. For the last 23 years, I have represented working people, and I've taken on some of the largest corporations in America, Starbucks, FedEx, Uber, Amazon, IBM, my alma mater, Harvard University. And I have recovered hundreds of millions of dollars for working people, money that their employers stole from them. And this work has changed industries um, across Massachusetts and throughout the country. I have been effectively working as a private attorney general for the last 20 years, and I am so excited about this opportunity to take it to the next level and continue and expand on this important work with the power of the state behind me as Massachusetts' next attorney general. Thank you for that. Uh, you've heard, uh, you've sued Harvard, I believe, four times. Am I correct? Uh, at least. Okay. Yes. Uh, when I was looking over candidate questionnaires before talking with you, I was looking at the progressive mass surveys that you and Quentin Pelfrey and Andrea Campbell filled out. Uh, you and Quentin Pelfrey agree on some big policy questions. You're both supportive of safe consumption sites for, uh, for drug users to prevent overdoses. You both for keeping the charter school cap in place, making public transit entirely free and single payer health care. Are there uh, policy areas where there are big differences between you and Quentin Pelfrey or do the differences that you wanna highlight emerge in other areas? I think the main difference between me and the other candidates in this race is experience. I think the job of attorney general, this requires a seasoned litigator. Um, I am, I'm a practicing lawyer. I'm the only candidate in the race who is a practicing lawyer, but not only that, I have been widely recognized as being one of the top plaintiff's lawyers in the country for the work that I have done for the, the powerful interests that I've taken on. I have, I've shaped the law. I have uh, won the jury trials. I've won the appeals that have helped strengthen our laws to better and more fairly serve the people. Um, and I think that is what the people of Massachusetts want. Yesterday, I was very honored to receive the endorsement of the Massachusetts AFL-CIO. So there are now uh, half a million 
working people across Massachusetts have put their support behind this campaign. And I, and I am very excited about continuing the fight I've been doing for the last 20 years and, and, and doing it for the people of Massachusetts. Let me ask you about a statement that your campaign put out a couple weeks ago focusing on, I asked about Quentin Pelfrey earlier, focusing on uh, Andrea Campbell. She had said in a forum at Boston College Law School that she supported keeping the charter school cap in place like you and Quentin Pelfrey do. She uh, subsequently reversed herself, said she'd misspoken that she wants to lift the cap. She also right now says that she's opposed to safe consumption sites for drug users after expressing openness to them when she was running from Air Boston. Uh, your campaign manager, Jordan Meehan, put out a statement saying, how are voters going to be able to compare candidates' positions on critical issues like safe consumption sites and charter school expansion when Andrea Campbell's positions seem to depend on the day and on the audience? Do you believe that Andrea Campbell changes her positions depending on who she's talking to? I think what Massachusetts voters want to see is someone that they can trust and that they can believe in, who will stand by what they say and, and will make things happen based on what they are conveying to the voters. So I think everyone knows where I stand. I have devoted my career to taking on the most powerful interests uh, on behalf of the people and winning. That's what I'm going to do as attorney general. Um, I have been on the forefront of some of the most cutting edge legal issues in our country. Uh, just this week, I was standing in Rome, Georgia, outside the federal courthouse with some brave students who have taken on incredibly racist behavior by their public school. Um, and I stood with a civil rights lawyer there and we filed a federal lawsuit challenging this unbelievable discriminatory racist discipline of black students who were challenging um, um, white students who were reenacting George Floyd's murder, who were wearing Confederate flags, um, and black students who wanted to wear Black Lives Matter shirts were told they couldn't do it and they got disciplined. So that's the kind of work that I've been doing. I have been standing up for civil rights. I've been standing up for wage enforcement. I've been standing up for the people. And I am the most experienced candidate ready to go in on day one and fight for the people, fight for consumers, workers, let me, our environment. Let, let me stay just for one moment with the, the question of Andrea Campbell's position on safe consumption sites uh, and yours. She put out a statement in response to the statement that I just read from your campaign manager, Jordan Meehan, in which she said, essentially, she's hearing what voters have to say on that, and they don't want safe con consumption sites. Uh, as her campaign put it, they said, Campbell answered no because she has concerns about how safe injection sites will be implemented, including cost and location, and has been talking about the issue with residents and stakeholders. As the people's lawyer, the next AG should let those voices inform the work, and Andrea is the only candidate who seems to be prioritizing that. That's a statement they made to State House News Service. This is a sort of a political philosophical question. If, in fact, uh, she supported the idea, was open to it when she was running for Air Boston, and now as she campaigns for AG, she's hearing that most voters don't want safe consumption sites. What's wrong with a politician changing their mind based on feedback they're getting from the people that they want to represent? Well, I just have to say that's not what I'm hearing. I'm traveling around Massachusetts, and I am hearing about the devastation that uh, this opioid epidemic has caused to our communities, to our families. And I have heard from people that what we need is, and, and I'm committed as attorney general to doing everything possible to get the resources to people who need them. 
Um, we should not be using our criminal justice system to try to prosecute our way out of the opioid crisis. We need to provide care and resources and safe consumption sites are an important step toward getting there. And what I am hearing out there is that people support them and understand that we need to use every tool in our power to connect people who are, um, are plagued by addiction to get them interacting with and able to access services that, that we need to be providing for them to get in that same, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to step on the end of your yeah. statement. I apologize. In that same progressive mass survey that I mentioned a moment ago, you criticized the current attorney general, Maura Healey, for choosing to defend the Commonwealth in a couple cases where you believe she should not have defended the state. Can you describe what those cases are and, and what you would do as AG uh, if faced with a case that you thought had merit against the state? Uh, yeah, so I mean, Mara Healy has been a terrific attorney general, and I am very excited about the possibility of stepping into her shoes and expanding on her great work. As a civil rights lawyer uh, for the last 20 years, I, I do know that sometimes the state is not on the right side of the issues. Um, for instance, I have a case right now against the state police for violating our newly enacted Paid Family and Medical Sick Leave Act. It's a, they're just blatantly violating it. I'm going to take on even state agencies that are not in compliance with our laws. Right now, there's, there's a case um, that is challenging our discriminatory approach to addressing a, a historic problem we face in Massachusetts, an ongoing issue of lead paint in our housing stock. This is a, an educational issue, this is a health issue, and this is an equity issue. We have a law in Massachusetts that has um, not addressed the issue. Instead, what it, what it has does, it has fostered discrimination against families with children under the age of six. Because under our laws, if a family with children under the age of six want to move in to a unit, the landlord has to de-lead. And you know what that has done? Has that led to a decrease in lead in our housing stock? No, it has led to discrimination against families. And, and it's so hard right now for families to afford what they need to afford housing. Why are we not trying to fix this problem and de-lead all of our housing stock? So as attorney general, I would take stock of a case like this, like the one that's pending right now and say, hey, is the right answer to be putting taxpayer funds into defending against this case? Or is it better to be working to find the right solution? Um, I, I'd like to see us get rid of all lead paint through our housing stock. So as attorney general, I'm going to take a close look at every case that comes into the office. Um, I know it'll be my job to, to keep state agencies out of trouble. That means um, resolving issues when they should be resolved. And in some instances, if it's not possible to resolve it, but I don't think that the, the people should be on the side of defending something, I can appoint a special attorney general to play the defense role. I can join the side of the plaintiffs. Um, as, as a civil rights lawyer and um, wage lawyer over the years, I've seen that sometimes that that the state is on the side of the indefensible, um, and I and I won't defend it. I will work towards solutions that are in the interest of the people. Uh, this is hard to anticipate, I expect. But if you did become the next AG, how often would you anticipate having to take the step of siding with the plaintiffs in a case against the state? Would it be you know maybe once or twice in your term? or more frequently than that, based on what you've seen previously? Well, it's hard to say, because my role as attorney general, like I said, would be to keep the state and its agencies right. out of trouble. Right. So I would be active, I would take an active role 
to try to get these issues resolved before they have to turn into litigation. Um, but if they do have to turn into litigation, I will take a, a hard look at, at which side is the right side to be on to have our, our taxpayer base supporting. You made it clear when I asked that question that, that you're a fan of the AGs, broadly speaking. But I want to ask you about one other area in which she's been criticized, namely the fact that she has not prosecuted a lot of political corruption cases, especially involving elected officials in Massachusetts. That's tended to fall to federal prosecutors who I know have an increased set of tools at their disposal to prosecute those cases. But there are people, not just the Mass GOP, but the Boston Globe editorial board have called out uh, the AG for not doing enough on that front. Would you try to do more when it comes to prosecuting political corruption than she has done? Um, I think that it is essential to our democracy that people believe in their elected leaders. And if there's anything that I have proven through my career, I think it is that I am not afraid of anyone. I'm not afraid of taking on powerful interests. And uh, that is what I've been doing for more than 20 years. I've taken on the most powerful corporations. I've taken on my alma mater, Harvard University. Four times. I will I've, at least four times. Okay. I, will I will take on corruption because that is, that is key and critical to, um, to our democracy and to uh, the, the people of Massachusetts believing in and trusting their leaders. So I will not I will not hesitate to use the full power of the Attorney General's office to enforce public corruption laws. Uh, this may be the final question, depending on how quickly you answer it. You and your other Democratic candidates, or the other Democratic candidates for AG, you've all run for another high-profile office pretty recently. Quentin Pelfrey was the nominee for LG a few years back. Andrea Campbell ran for mayor of Boston, as we mentioned a moment ago. You ran for U.S. Senate for a while until Joe Markey hopped in that race against, uh, against Ed Markey. Pardon me, until Joe Kennedy hopped in the race against Ed Markey. If you are elected uh, attorney general, would there be another run for another political office in your future down the road, or would that be the capstone of your political ambitions? Uh, right now, what I am focused on is uh, talking to folks around Massachusetts and explaining why I am the most qualified to be the next people's lawyer. That this is what um, this is what I'm working on. This is what I'm focused on, and this is what my career has really led up to. I've been a private attorney general for more than 20 years. I have changed industries across Massachusetts and across the country. Um, I've taken on Uber and Lyft and the gig economy and my work in this area fighting for employee rights um, for these workers have sparked a national conversation about the importance of these rights. I've taken on IBM for trying to uh, get rid of older workers to build a younger workforce. You can read about that in the Boston Globe a couple of months ago. This, this is the fight that I have been waging my entire career. And I, I'm very excited about the possibility of extending this work with power of the state behind me and being the people's lawyer of Massachusetts. Okay, got it. Lightning round. We have one more question. 20 seconds. Do you expect to get the 15% of delegates required to make the ballot? When you guys um, I feel, we're feeling very good about that. There's a lot of work to do. I don't take anything for granted, but we're looking forward to the convention in a couple of weeks. Okay, Shannon List Reardon, thank you for being here. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. That is going to do it for tonight, but do come back next week. And as always, please tell us what you think. The email is talkingpolitics at wgbh.org. The website is gbhnews.org slash talkingpolitics. Or you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Riley Adam. For now, thank you for watching and good night.